Welcome back to the Euroclio podcast, Pastime, Talking and Teaching History. In this podcast, we will look at textbooks, why some people love them and others strongly dislike te- textbooks. We will dive a bit deeper into the role of textbooks and we encourage you to be a critical audience. In this podcast, there are two hosts, me, Maike, I'm a history teacher uh, here in the Netherlands. And me, Katria, a Ukrainian-American working at Euroclio, particularly interested in how historical memory can drive contemporary conflict. The aim of this podcast is to discuss topics and ideas that are relevant to history educators and curriculum developers. This podcast is just one of the many ways in which Euroclio reaches out to educators. We also hold webinars, blogs, and conferences. Visit our website, euroclio.eu, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more content. So we were inspired to do this episode about textbooks when we saw an article in Time magazine about how in California textbooks are now incorporating the perspective of the LGBTQ plus community. And this really highlighted for us how exclusionary and incomplete textbooks can actually be. So Katia, when you went to high school um, or middle school, was there and in your textbooks, was there a perspective of LGBTQ plus community? So I went to public school in New Jersey, and I have to say I can't really recall a module or the incorporation of the LGBTQ community in my education at all. It's it's a pity, truly. Yeah. I know that you work at an international school, Mike. Uh, could you tell me a bit about how you use textbooks? Yeah, that's right. So I work at an international school, so it means that I don't have like the national canon that I have to focus on. Uh, we work with concepts and big ideas, so I don't have a textbook that is guiding the course as a holy grail, but I pick and choose resources from mostly the internet uh, in order to yeah, const- uh, create my own course, which is a benefit for me because it's highly, cha- highly challenging and exciting. But for students, it can be also um, uh, yeah, a challenge because they have to really organize themselves and keep track of everything we're doing in class. That's really interesting. I think you touch on something important. You say that you have the opportunity to combine different resources, whether it's textbooks, other resources, things you might find like media on the internet, in order to provide more perspectives in the classroom. So today we'll be talking to two experts, Dr. Marin Tribukait and lecturer Anne-Laure Lieval, about the different ways in which they use or analyze textbooks. Today with us, we have Maren Tribukait and Anlor Lival. Thank you so much for joining our uh, podcast episode today. Uh, first of all, Anlor, would you maybe be so kind to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, uh, so I'm a history and geography teacher in uh, France, in Lille. I teach in a high school in Lille city center. Um, I'm also a member of the board of Euroclio, well, I've just been elected in April. And I also um, am a, a teacher trainer, so I, I also teach sometimes in um, Lille University. Thank, thank you so much and thanking, uh, thank you for joining us today. Maren Tribukait, would you also be so kind to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you for the invitation. My name is Maren Tribukait. I'm working for the Georg Eckert Institute for International Textbook Research in Braunschweig in Germany. Um, I'm a historian and I've specialized in history education. So this is my main uh, field of research. 
All right, thank you so much as well for joining us today. Um, so today is about textbooks in history education. Um, now, some people love textbooks while other history teachers uh, strongly dislike them. So Andor, would you maybe be able to share with us the role of uh, textbooks in uh, French history education particularly? Yes, well, in, in France, we have a tradition of uh, using history uh, textbooks and textbooks uh, back to the Third Republic, back to the at least the end of the 19th century. Um, then the Minister of Education, who was um, Jules Ferry, he gave the right to teachers to choose the textbooks they, they want to use. And so during the 19th century, several publishers specialized in publishing textbooks uh, were uh, created in France. And, and we have um, three uh, freedoms, the freedom to publish textbooks, you know, it's a private stuff. Uh, we have the freedom uh, as teachers to choose textbooks or not. And we have the freedom to use it, uh, how to use it uh, or not using it. And um, in the beginning of the 21st century, our Ministry of Education uh, reinforced the, the mention of the use and uh, encourage uh, the use of textbooks in the official, uh, you know, text. But of course, textbooks uh, are criticized uh, in France. Uh, well, the criticism started in the 60s, you know, 1968 and so on, uh, because, um, well, in fact, we have several criticisms. Uh, first, it's a huge market. Uh, one textbook in France costs 30 euros. So, of course, it's very interesting for publishers to uh, have their textbook chosen by schools because they're going to earn a lot of money. Um, it's criticized by, of course, the teachers because uh, some of them, well, many teachers, so them sometimes as an official uh, line. And, of course, uh, the questions about the document, the exercises, the quality of the lessons written in the textbooks can be also criticized somewhat. And it's kind of something which is quite um, static. Um, and yeah, and teachers uh, need to um, adapt uh, the textbooks. Yeah, it's very interesting how you say that there is, uh, um, there is freedom in what is being published and also freedom for teachers to choose whatever textbook they would like to uh, use. But still there are teachers who are criticizing the textbook because it's static and uh, it's maybe an official line. Uh, teachers uh, are trying to adapt. Could you maybe give an example of, of what you mean by that and, and how do you do that? Well, for example, um, in my case, uh, I especially use textbooks the first year of a new curriculum. Uh, like this year or next year, we have a new curriculum in uh, year 12 or senior year in high schools. So uh, we receive a lot of free copies from at least six to eight textbooks, you know, in history for um, yeah, year 12. And um, yes, it's easier for when you discover a new curriculum, you have, of course, the official uh, text, you know, but it's also um, easier to um, use the textbooks and what is proposed in uh, textbooks. But then I would say that I emancipate from the textbooks the following years because uh, I'm, I search my own documents on the Internet and I read stuff and I, 
I see exhibition and movies and well, many things. So um, yeah, I tend to use uh, less and less textbooks. Great, Th thank you for that. That was that was very clear. Katya, you also had a question. Right, so this episode we begin by referring to an article in Time magazine which discusses how history textbooks in California are finally introducing or including LGBTQ plus perspectives. And this resonated with us because we realized that our history textbooks also present quite limited views of the past. So I wanted to know how you go about making sure all perspectives are included. So not just how you complement with resources, but how do you make sure that the, the narratives you're presenting are pluralistic and include many perspectives from different groups? Well, you can choose the, the, the best uh, textbook. For example, I'm thinking about women, you know, women and uh, gender mixed history. Uh, there is a lack of women in history textbooks. And um, I think that last year and this year, uh, a French publisher, uh, well, made an effort to, um, to put more women in, in the textbooks and in the lessons, more examples of uh, women, and that's good. But I think it's one publisher out of the eight uh, official, well, classic uh, publishers. And so it means that indeed the teacher uh, has to be careful, has to be uh, aware of that, and has to be careful, and has to um, to uh, add and provide uh, complementary um, documents and information and uh, not just stick to the textbooks, of course. Uh, it's easy to say that when you are an experienced teacher. Well, I've been teaching for 15 years now, but it's more complicated where you're a young, fresh, you no know, teach teacher, you just pass the contest to become a teacher. And, uh, and it's difficult to have this um, perspective, this um, yeah, critical thinking, you know, about uh, history textbooks. In fact, you, ha you have to be able to make kind of a commentary on document, but uh, the document is a textbook and you have to have this critical thinking. And it's very uh, difficult because uh, it means that you need to read, to be informed, to read, to be uh, aware of the research. And you don't have time you, when, you, when you start teaching. You don't have time because you have to deal with many, many, many information, new things to do and, and learn your, your, your job. Uh, so it's the same with minorities or the teaching of, for example, uh, slavery, colonization. We have that in the curriculum, but it's just um, not a big part of the, of the curriculum. And so, um, yes, we have to be careful about that because we have a, a social uh, demand about... Uh, talking about women and minorities. Um, yeah, I can't, I, mean, can't, I can't believe how many times I've been reading articles now you know, at my age thinking, I can't believe I don't know this about my own, my own history, women's history. It was just never mentioned. I'm astounded at how much is omitted. And you realize how important representation is in history textbooks. You can't really imagine yourself aspiring to certain roles if it hasn't been mentioned that women before you have done it as well or minorities before you have done it as well. Um, I just wanted to know if you have any other tips that you could provide. You're very thorough. So, well, the idea is to uh, listen to podcasts and um, try to read podcasts like yours, for example. But we, we, in France, we have also several uh, very good history podcasts. And uh, yes, and go to conferences, you know, meet uh, and listen to historians and what is being published. Thank you very much. This is very, very enlightening. Um, Martin, it'd be great to hear from you. Uh, if you could perhaps begin by 
telling us what it is you do at the Georg Eckert Institute and then perhaps introducing yourself just a little bit more to our listeners, listeners as a refresher. Well, the Georg Eckert Institute um, approaches textbooks from a specific site. It um, looks at textbooks not only in their functionality as didactical tools, but also as political um, uh, texts. And I think this has always been very, uh, very important for our work. So, I mean, in the beginning, it was about um, the, the narratives in different countries, the national narratives, and um, it was about um, the, the aim was to, um, to look at, let's say, narratives in German and Polish textbooks and find a way to, um, to tell these national stories um, that, that is okay for the other one, that is somehow um, a compromise um, and is not as nationalistic as it used to be. So that was the beginning. Um, and now um, there are so many things, um, uh, so, so many political questions about textbooks. So I think this is very important for us. Um, the one is that we uh, look how textbooks are used in lessons, how teachers use them as, as a medium, and also to look more um, how other uh, didactical tools are used, uh, how digital tools are used. Um, and it's also still important to look at the narratives and um, the way special, specific groups are represented in textbooks. Thank you very much. Could you possibly explain what is considered the original aim of textbooks and how they came to be so prominent in the education, education system? I think there's a lot of things that, that Anlo has already mentioned. So um, the, uh, one function, function of textbooks is to give an overview of what has to be learned within a certain time frame, within a year. Um, and for both students and teachers, um, it somehow shows the curriculum, uh, both to teachers and students, um, and also should give this, uh, the opportunity to students to study independently when they have missed the lesson or when they want to pre prepare for exams, for example. So this already means that the, um, the subject matter has to be presented in a clear way, in a vivid way. And modern textbooks, of course, also contain questions and tasks, and they should inspire teachers to plan their lessons and um, yeah, provide some ideas uh, for, for teaching. Um, and I think this altogether sh uh, shows why they are, became so prominent. Um, so they're useful for the state because they show the curriculum. They're useful for teachers because they see what they have to teach. And, um, and maybe they also get ideas how to teach and they're useful for students um, when they have to study themselves and um, and when they haven't understood it maybe in the in the lesson so they can read it afterwards so then it's a very useful basis for teaching okay and in that answer you also said like nowadays textbooks maybe have some questions or they try to inspire teachers uh, with what they can do in their lessons and that kind of ties into my next question because I was curious, since your institute is organizing every year a ceremony or an award ceremony for the best textbook of the year. So um, what would you consider as a good textbook? And maybe are there some features that a good textbook should have? I think the most important thing is that they are designed for students rather than for teachers. 
So that means that, um, yes, yeah, the question should be inspiring. The language has to be understandable. Um, and they, the layout should be appealing. So there should be pictures, but not too many. And there should more than text, of course. Um, and also textbooks, um, they should not only teach knowledge, but also um, make students think about problems and show multiple, multiple perspectives on controversial issues and so on. And for the um, jury of the textbook award, it was always, um, or it is always important to see the political dimension of textbooks, um, to pay attention, for example, for how society is represented and um, whether it's shown as a diverse and inclusive society, whether um, minorities are represented or, and whether um, students maybe with handicaps are just shown as just normal students or, or if they are shown at all. Um, and what I personally think it's very important that textbooks somehow are open and structured at the same time. So in a way they are manuals. So they introduce into the methods, into the given overview over the field and so on. But they also should also be workbooks with a lot of material where students can read themselves a little bit um, or maybe read something and think further. So I think this is very difficult to get this, to integrate this, but it's, it's somehow um, very important, I think. Um, a colleague of mine, well, I'm part also of a, a jury for um, uh, what we call a teaching contest in France to recruit teachers. And there is a, a, a test which um, deal with um, criticizing two um, extracts of two different textbooks and confront, compare the textbook with the, the, um, the official text with the curriculum. It's a very difficult exercise, especially for students and for young um, or future teachers, but it's um, a very interesting exercise. Um, Yes, so a good, yeah, a good uh, textbook should be indeed appealing for, for students. And I think uh, I've, I've seen uh, different textbooks from different countries. For example, I saw textbooks in the United States with a lot of text, not many images, not many uh, illustrations, but pages of text. We, we don't have that in France and it, should, um, it would appear quite um, austere. Uh, to have such textbook with uh, much text. Um, so indeed, to be appealing for students, uh, it should have, yes, sources. And what would be very good is to have a variety of viewpoints um, for each topic. And maybe it's the most difficult. Uh, one of my colleagues, part uh, member of the, of the jury, uh, for to him, the ideal textbook was, would be, but he was thinking of the teacher, I think, instead of the, of the, of the student, would be to have a, just a set of documents free to use uh, with no caption um, about the document, no questions on the documents, so that the, the teacher could use the documents uh, freely and create his, his or her own uh, question on tasks. And because, yes, sometimes there are too many information in the textbooks about the, the documents. And usually the, the answers uh, are already given to, um, to students and they don't have to think much. 
Um, so indeed, if it's um, a way to study um, at home independently and to be reassured, because even if you don't go to class or if you, you miss the class, even because you were absent, you have a tool at home that you are free to use and you are sure to have something at home about the, the lesson. So we need some text, uh, a lesson, but up to date with the, the research. So something up to date, so something that's been uh, revised and not, uh, yeah, and not uh, the same text uh, that, has, that is maybe 20, 20 years old. So that's something that we see uh, often. But I think there's variety of viewpoints is maybe the, yes, the most tri tricky part. Thanks, uh, Anne-Laure, that uh, is a very good addition to what Mara was saying, also from a teacher's perspective. Um, Mara, you wanted to elaborate a bit further on that? Well, um, Anne-Laure, you um, talked about this, your colleague who wished uh, a textbook or wanted to have a textbook that is rather a source book. So that made me think of my own textbook in history when I was a student. So it was, it was really special. It was called um, Fragen an die Geschichte, Questions to History. And it also con only contained sources. There were a few author texts scattered among them, but there wasn't, it did, there wasn't really like an overview or something. So it was really challenging as a student to find your way. And we had a very good teacher. I think it was, it really depended on the teacher, this kind of system. But um, it really was fascinating and also very motivating to, to somehow make sense of, of historical problems and, and find out why the Nazis came to power or whatever. So it was, um, there was a sort of lack of structure, but that was um, motivating. Um, yes, and uh, uh, Maren, I think what you touch upon is critical there is that it also depends a lot on the teacher then and what the teacher does with, with, with those uh, primary sources, uh, of course. Um, and I, you kind of already um, answered my uh, another question that I had for you, uh, namely, what would you consider as uh, your favorite uh, textbook? Um, so in your previous answer, you said something like a textbook should maybe be considered as a manual. So also an uh, introduction to a particular topic and an invitation to read, to read more and to inquire uh, further about this particular topic. Is there anything you wanted to add to that or did I sum it up okay? Yeah, you, you sort of summed it up, but I think um, what, what um, textbooks today, um, what they, um, uh, they are better in uh, presenting their topics. So the book I talked about was rather, was text only more or less. So I think and there was lacking something. And I think today, very often um, textbooks in Germany, they have a, like a double page at the beginning, and a lot of pictures and they, they um, that raise questions. I think that, that is very often well done. In this episode, we've also looked at the potential pitfalls of use of history textbooks in the classroom. And we know that research conducted at your institute has analyzed the way social movements are presented, misrepresented, or underrepresented in textbooks worldwide. I would like to ask you what ways you think history textbooks are primarily misused? I think the classic case is when they are used for, um, to glorify the nation. So I think there's been a lot of research about that. And somehow it's done, it isn't done that openly anymore, I think. 
Um, in a project, um, Learning to Disagree, so where Anne-Laure and me are both <laughs> members, um, um, I conducted research together with a colleague um, and we interviewed teachers in focus groups. And um, quite a few of them, they were from different countries, quite a few of them, they told us that, they, um, that the textbooks are quite good, so they have a lot of methods, they have a lot of material, it's even multi-perspective. But the problem is that in the exam, um, only factual knowledge is um, wanted. So they, what they are doing is they, they teach their students mostly facts because they need them. And they use the books that are so well done only in a certain way. And in a way, this is, is kind of misused, not by the teachers, but by the system which, uh, that is behind it. And it's also a way to, to push the national narrative um, through, I think, because all these facts amount to some certain kind of storyline. And then it's, uh, it's about how, how great our nation, well, how important it is. And so. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, I would, I would just maybe perhaps quickly ask a follow-up question. Do you think that textbooks have become more nationally geared of late? Have we kind of drifted away from that and now returned to it? It seems with populism on the rise, there seems to be a lot of pushing of, you know, unnuanced historical narratives by certain governments. I think that the textbook system is quite slow. So. Um, the populist movements, they are quite new. It, it depends on the countries, but um, so I haven't really noticed the textbook have changed that much. So, but of course I don't have the, the, the overview of all the, all of the countries in Europe, but um, in, uh, in Germany, I wouldn't say they haven't become populist so far, but it can always happen, of course. But at the moment they are still the same, done in the same way like 10 years ago, I would say. Thank you. Uh, thank you both. Um, so uh, during this conversation, we kind of um, uh, ha we have two perspectives, right? On the one hand, yes, textbooks, they, they can help uh, teachers, they help students. Uh, it's also helpful for teachers indeed to reduce the workload. It gives some structure, especially now in the time of uh, quarantine where student it gives students some guideline. So um, the, the last question is, is how can we counteract the challenges posed by textbook, which we just acknowledged? but also take into consideration curriculum requirements and also the workload of teachers. So do you have a suggestion for us? It's very difficult for me to, um, to give recommendations because I think it really depends. And Alor has at the beginning, I think you've already um, mentioned this. I think um, textbooks are of course an important tool, especially if you're at the beginning of your career or if you um, haven't studied the, top, the subject at all. So that happens very often or sometimes at least. And, um, and to my knowledge, um, as you said, uh, most teachers that know their subject are really interested in it, they supplement the textbook. And this is also a very good way to add new perspectives um, and to, to broaden the, the, the picture. So I think, um, of course, this is extra work. Um, I think many history teachers have their like private archives. <laughs> Uh, and you can't do it all the time. This is, is of course, um, but I think it, anyway, uh, um, it's always better to to have maybe our students learn more when they focus at one topic for a bit longer time. So they can get deeper into it and really look at different viewpoints. So and that doesn't work if you rush through. You can't just make it happen. So I think in systems and educational systems, 
where um, the exams focus on problem orientation, then it's good. I think then it's um, the right way to teach. If the exams focus on factual knowledge, then teachers really um, can't do this uh, only very, very rarely. I like one thing that you said, and I, um, is that also don't focus on victim victimization mm -hmm. um, and uh, focus on the resistance. And maybe Maren, that also connects with what you said earlier that the need for multiple perspectives um, and and also encourage to read more. Would you? Is that a good yeah. example? Um, well, I I could, um, or maybe have a recommendation which. Of fits to what a little bit to what Anne Law says that um, I think it's important uh, to to read the author text in textbook also critically and maybe even compare two textbooks and it could also um, uh, show that um, how um, uh, how texts um, how they work so that means who's the agent who's um, who's the agent who's passive. So this was, would be something that when Jews are only um, treated as passive subjects, so this this, this makes makes it's very important to it, it, um, for the picture, the, the overall picture it produces, and also um, um, there are passages in which it remains unclear who is responsible for action. So all these things, I think, it's very difficult for students to see it at first glance, of course. Do you really um, have to be guided or maybe the comparison I think can can help um, a lot and I think this is, is a way to to question a little bit the authority of the textbook too and um, to make students um, think more independently maybe a little bit. <laughs> uh, what Maren said before is also very good to keep in mind when we look at textbooks so who is the agent in the text um, who is passive in the text and also sometimes it's unclear who is responsible for the action that's been done um, which is a, of course something you can relate to World War II but it's also something that you can read for example to colonialism, transatlantic slavery, um, the, maybe the more the, the histories that we don't often include in our textbooks and, and national narrative. Um, thank you both so much for joining us today uh, if there's anything we missed, please be so kind to let us know now. <laughs> um, I think we had a great conversation about um, textbooks, the advantages, but also the potential pitfalls, the necessity for history educators to be critical, uh, also to be brave, uh, and to be very um, mindful of including as much as possible perspectives into the past, into our reflection uh, of the past. Uh, so thank you both very much and see you next episode. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you very much for the interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It was very interesting. Yeah. In this highly interesting episode, we discussed that textbooks can be useful for teachers, for students and also for the state to determine what has to be discussed. However, uh, it's also important to critically analyze textbook, who has agency in the textbook, who is passive, who is active. Um, the responsibility of a history teacher to be critical of the textbook as well. And also the necessity to be courageous and challenge uh, a national narrative. 
So in some, we see the use of textbooks as manuals or overviews of histories, but also as workbooks that facilitate critical thinking and reflection and help students to better contextualize themselves and their role within their respective societies. So thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you on our next episode. Bye!